Well, eight months later, the, the gym got sold. And I went to bed on Friday night with a job and I woke up on Saturday without one. All right, we are recording. So today I have on Chris Kidowski. He's the author of The Death of Dieting, Ketogenic and Vegan Diet Cookbooks, The Everspace, and the Pain Bible series, including uh, the Knee Pain Bible, the Neck and Shoulder Pain Bible, the Back Pain Bible, uh, the Foot and Ankle Pain Bible. He's an extremely prolific author, and he's been helping athletes and regular people to heal some of their you know, worst injuries for almost about 20 years now, right, Chris? Yeah, yeah, close to 20 years, man. Definitely. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I appreciate the invitation, man. Um, anytime somebody reaches out to me out of the blue, just based off of reading my work, um, those are my favorite ones. You know, those are my favorite ones because it's something that you want to do. It's not something that, uh, you know, I have, I have a podcast and I got to look for people. It's like, hey, this dude is actually pretty interesting. So the organic ones, I like. I like the organic ones. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And like we spoke a little bit before, before the call, I, I found your work because I had my own injuries, a knee injury and a shoulder injury that I use your knee pain and then shoulder and neck pain Bible. Uh, I use it for those injuries and it's, they've helped me quite a bit. I didn't know anything about uh, one of your barriers of expertise, trigger points. And um, I just, I just was blown away by your work. So one of the first things I wanted to ask you is you write about this huge breadth of topics and I can tell that trigger points are a big thing for you, but out of all your books, uh, do you have a favorite or a favorite topic or a topic that you feel is the most important? And if so, why, why is that? Um, you know what, man, I, so tops on my list would probably be the ever space. And, and the reason why the ever space was, was a catharsis book. And catharsis is just basically something that's inside of you that you need to get out. And for a very long time, like what a lot of people don't know about me is when I was like 12, 13, 14, um, one of my favorite things to do was actually to sit down and write poetry. Now, whether that poetry was good or not, it was a way for me to express how unhappy I was with my life and what I was currently doing. Even though I was there, like who expects something out of a 13, 14 year old? Like basically you just got to get up, maybe feed the dog, go to school, come back home, mow the lawn. But I was like, I felt, I felt worthless. You know, I felt like I wasn't doing anything, even though I, I, I had a good number of friends. My parents were awesome. Um, I had brothers, uh, you know, I had a roof over my head, it, it, everything. Like I had nothing to complain about, but I was like, man, I just, I wish I could do something more. So I started writing poetry and, and I had it in a, uh, in a little black book and I kept it for a really long time and added to it uh, whenever I felt like, you know, I was on the verge of getting slightly depressed or irritated or something like that. And then when I left Hawaii in 2010, I actually donated it to a Goodwill along with a whole bunch of other stuff that I wasn't taking with me off the island. Okay. So whatever became of that book, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah. But That's when, crazy. when I started writing actually, and I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Like I can actually put a book together and, and, um, sell it on Amazon. 
The Everspace was the second book that I wrote. The Death of Dieting, which would be number two. Mm -hmm. So the Death of Dieting was the first book that I wrote. And um, that had come apart. Both of them kind of kind of arose from, from tragedy. Um, I, I was um, going through a pretty difficult point in, 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 my, in my life. And I was sitting around watching, um, constantly watching reruns of Entourage. Okay. And I was just like, one day I'm just like, it's like nine o'clock at night and I'm looking around and I'm like, I probably wasted about 5,000 hours of my life watching Entourage. And I'm like, you know, I'm not even trying to make my business better. Like I'm yeah. not even trying to read anymore in my spare time. Like this is, this is silly. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? I have this 19 page nutritional guide that I had written for actually a previous business that, that I was working in, I didn't own. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna expand, I'm gonna make this thing 50 pages and I'm gonna sell it in my gym. Yeah. And then I was like, I got to 50 pages, I got to 75 and I was like, you know what, I, there's a little bit more. And, and then I got to 100 pages and then it was 170 <laughs> and then it was, and I'm like, you know what, this is yeah. a book. Um, yeah. I'm like, yeah. so <clears throat> two different dynamics. Everspace was something the reason why it's my favorite is because I have this incredible longing, whether it's real or not, mm -hmm. for something much deeper in life. Mm -hmm. Okay, like I'm way beyond the skin, the bones, the teeth, the hair and the nails and, and the Gucci shoes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm way beyond that. I'm like, I want to try and find out like how deep does this energy thing go? Like how much space are we really like what's the difference between me considering myself to be matter or considering myself to be a particle? What's the difference between considering myself to be a wave or considering myself to be a frequency? Like I am, I, I always was like, there is something so deep about life that we are just not tapping into at all. And with the, with the Everspace, um, I, I talk about like neuroscience and God and, and a lot of people think that you need to believe in either one. Like there's no religious scientists, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there may be very few priests that believe and, and actually think that science supports God, mm -hmm. right? So when I started to do a whole bunch of reading and do all this digging, I was like, a life, in my opinion, that's best lived is a marriage between the two. It's not being too much on one side or too much on the other. And I lay out some reasons for that. And it's basically me writing to my younger self. Like if I could have given myself all of the advice in that book, mm -hmm. when I was like 13 or 14, I feel like I would be a lot further along in life than where I am right now. Not that I'm at anywhere or any point, um, not happy with my life to the contrary, like I'm ecstatic, but mm -hmm. I feel like if even one or two people read that book and take some of the things that I, that I wrote about in there to heart, do a little bit more of their own research and come down to their own conclusions and start to meditate using the program that I suggest, there's no way that their life isn't going to, that their life isn't going to profoundly change for the better. So it's a little bit of a sleeper. The other ones like pain management, the, the pain management books, and then 
Death of Dieting, um, I, I wrote as kind of like a tribute to my mother just because I don't want to see things happen to other people the way they happened to my mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in the webinar that I have the, the speech that I gave at UCLA, yeah. um, and, and I was talking about the whole situation with my mom, like, you know, there are a lot more healthy looking sick people walking around today than, than there are sick looking sick people. And, and it's kind of, once again, one of those sleeper things where it's just, it's pushed the shot aside. Like nobody really talks about it. How come, I mean, how come somebody like my mom, you know, five, five doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. She's kind of like vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, weighs 129 pounds, mm -hmm. um, loves to hike and exercise. How does she get cancer? Yeah. You know, like what, like what gives type of thing. Um, I wrote that book. So if people find it and they read it and they apply the things and they, or they actually see where they're going wrong with their own nutrition, they can stop scratching their head and being like, why is my brain foggy? Why, why do my joints ache? How come I haven't gone to the bathroom in seven days? You know, and, and like those, that's what I want. I, I write books and I, I, I do things in my business for two reasons, to help people and to make money. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's it. Like, that's all I want to do. Um, so it, it, with writing the books and putting myself out there and even doing the podcasts that I do and whatnot, it forces me to develop a little bit more of a thicker skin because sometimes I get reviews on my books that are unfavorable, you mm -hmm. know? And when I look at that and, and I realize where the person's coming from, that they don't understand my book, but somebody that my book might help may read their review and be like, oh yeah, I'm not going to get this one. Like, that's what I worry about. I don't worry about like, oh man, I'm not going to get that $9.99 from Amazon now. No, I worry about not being able to help somebody because of somebody's negative review. Um, and, and for instance, the, the latest one was on um, the, the knee pain Bible. Somebody gave it a two-star review and they were like, you know, this book, it, it's not the knee pain Bible. And um, it, it's not worth $25. It's just a basic understanding and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like I had knee pain for 16 years mm -hmm. and I fixed both of my knees with, the, with what I put in this book. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to me, it is the knee pain Bible because yeah. I was squatting, running, jumping, everything, suffering every single day. If I had to go for on a car ride longer than five minutes. You know, so to me, it is the knee pain Bible and, and like I wrote it. So other people that have pain can now not suffer as long as I did, you know, so it's frustrating things like that, but that's what you do when you become an author and you put yourself out there, you know, that's what, that's what you deal with. Um, one, of, one of the things that brings me solace, I saw Tim Ferriss tweet the other day, he said, uh, the internet equals 50% of people um, complaining and knocking down the other 50% of people that are doing things. 50 per <laughs> he, said, he said, the internet equals 50% of people doing nothing, knocking yeah. down the other 50% of people that are actually doing something. That's what he <laughs> tweeted, you yeah. know? And I was just yeah. like, God, like if there was anybody to tweet that, like it would be him. And, yeah. and I, you know, I know that's facetious and whatnot, but it's, it's true. It's like, okay, if you didn't like it, then, you know, I'm sorry. I, it didn't touch you like it touched everybody else, but you know, don't, 
don't negatively knock it in a negative light. Say it just didn't work for me or I just didn't like the book. Um, because somebody may read your review that my book may help and they may not buy it, mm -hmm. you know, and that's now they're not being helped. So that's all. Yeah. I, I got a little bit off topic. I'm sorry about that. No, that's all good, man. That's all, it's all interesting stuff. And um, <clears throat> I wanted to touch on a little bit more on, on the, the, the speech you do with your mom because it, you know, I guess influenced the amount of work you put out regarding nutrition. But before I get into that, I just had one more question about the Everspace, which is what does that name exactly mean to you? Because I know for some people who haven't read it and it's a, it's a book based on spirituality. What, yeah. what does that name mean? And what's like, I guess, if you can give people a abbreviated idea of what that book is about, if they're interested in maybe exploring some of your non-physical non related work. The, the Everspace is, is allowing you to discover who you really are and what your sole purpose really is. Like that's what I believe that book can help somebody achieve just through those basic principles. Um, I really feel that if somebody reads that book, takes those, that, that advice to heart, takes those principles to heart and, and starts doing some form of meditation, anything that, uh, that, that they can, that they, they can allow their mind to grasp that they're going to wake up and maybe realize that their job, it's a, it's a personal disruption book. Okay. They might wake up and realize like, I don't like this job and I'm not happy with it and I'm going to change, you yeah. know, and they're going to change for the better. Or they may wake up and be like, you know what? I'm tired of that. My significant other treating me like crap. Like I'm going to love myself first, you know, I'm going to love myself first. And that's where I'm going to operate from, from now on, you know, and maybe they leave that person, they go and they start a, a company that helps another million people or something like that. Like that's what I feel that book can do if, um, if you read it and interpret it correctly um, and then go apply those things to your life. Awesome. Yeah. And I know that you already mentioned that meditation is part of that practice, but when you say, you know, live from loving yourself and operate from there, what would that look like? Like what is an example of something maybe if you were thinking of like, uh, this is probably something that's going to happen to people after they read this book. Like what, what would be an example of a behavior change someone would have maybe? Um, as in regards to loving yourself first, is that, yeah. is that what you're asking? Definitely. So, so there, you know, a lot of times we can be put in a position. So I'm going to use myself and as, as an example here, my entire life, I never attracted the type of clients that I should have. And I never got paid what I should have because I cared more about that person and their results than they did. Mm -hmm. Okay. When I started to, and, and that wasn't loving myself first, that was loving somebody else and what they can do. Yeah. Okay. But they didn't care about that. So long story short, personal tragedy in my life. Um, I find out my wife is cheating on me with one of the members in my own gym. Okay. Oh, wow. And it's like, okay, time to do some real deep inner work right now. Like, where did I go wrong? What did I do? Mm -hmm. You know, and w like w without going into all the details and everything like that, 10 months went by where we had both mutually agreed to try and rekindle things and try and save the marriage. And I got used and abused for 10 months. I mean, I got taken advantage of, I got stolen from, I mean, everything. And I was aware of it all, but I was always like, no, you know, like, it's okay. It's okay. And it's yeah. not okay. 
Yeah. You know, when somebody who says they love you is hurting you, that's the worst form of hurt. Mm-hmm. And I was just brushing it aside. And I was just like, no, that's, that's, everything's fine. I'm, I'm okay. I still have my career and like, everything's all right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if you wake up one day and, and somebody stole $20,000 from you, you'd be devastated. But yeah. if your significant other steals $20,000 from you, 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 then you're kind of like, no, that's okay. And, and yeah. that's not loving yourself. That's, that's not okay in either sense of, or in, in, in either case, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. So by loving yourself first, uh, and I got this from a gentleman named Domenguito in, in the Peruvian Andes, in the middle of the Peruvian Andes at about 14,000 feet. Um, we, we were sitting down and resting. We were at the, the, the top of a, a mountain and he just, he came right out and he goes, he goes, I got a question to ask you guys. And we're all like, okay. And he says, who's the most important person in your life? So everybody gives their answer. And I, you know, I tell, I tell everybody, it's my mom, you know, my mom, she's the most amazing person. And he looks and he goes, you know what? Those are all really great answers, but you're all wrong. Yeah. And we're like, what is this? Like, I'm going to fight this guy right now. Tell him I'm wrong. Like, what do you, what do you mean? And he says, the most important person in your life is you. And he just looks and he goes, Chris, if you get sick or if you can't help your mom, you know, how does your mom then stay stable and, and can you t- continue to affect your life? How do you take care of her if something happens to you? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, ever since then, that was in 2007, bro. And, and I didn't write that book till 2016. So it really hit home. It, like that, that really hit home hard. I was like, wow, like you really are the most important person in your life. And a lot of times when we defer that responsibility um, but through, through a lot of energetical factors, we attract people that are not willing to value ourselves because we don't value ourselves. Totally. So when you start by valuing yourself, first yeah. and foremost, you start to uh, attract other people of value. And that's what we all want. Sometimes we want it too bad that we're willing to give up our own personal morals for that. And that's just a disaster. That's awesome. Yeah. There's so many questions I have about that, but since I'd like to make this as practical as possible, you mentioned viewing yourself as someone as value, attracting other people who value you. Right. In your, in your business, how, how would you say that sort of mental shift? How did that, you know, express itself and you getting the type of clients you wanted and what did that process look like? You said this breakthrough is in 2007. So was this over the course of the next decade? Was there a major shift at one point? Cause you, you mentioned now you do have the kind of clients that you want. Yeah, there was one major shift. Uh, I got hired as the head strength conditioning coach for a CrossFit facility in Boca Raton Mm -hmm. and the owners were kind of hands off. They were just like, you know what, Chris, you have all the experience, bro. Just run it. So (laughs) prior to that, prior to that, I had always been, you know, being paid like an assistant. And this is my first head coaching job and whatnot. Well, eight months later, the, the gym got sold and I went to bed on Friday night with a job and I woke up on Saturday without one. Like they just, they called me Friday night and they were like, Hey bro, we sold the gym you know, uh, title transferred tonight. Um, you don't have a job. And I was like, okay, the worst companies in America will give you a two week notice, you know, but I was, luckily I was in a good position and I'm good with my money where I was like, 
you know, I'm not going to be broke. I'm not going to like lose my mortgage or something like that. Yeah. But I was like, okay, understood time to get to work. So at that point I started to realize, I started to think and I started to realize, I was like, you know what? Like I basically owned that facility. Yeah. I did everything. I cleaned, I ordered equipment, I sold mm-hmm. memberships. I did, I did everything, but like pay the electricity and the, and, and whatnot. Yeah. I coached, I coached other coaches, you know? And I was yeah. like, at that point I was like, I can do this. And yeah. when I started my own gym, CrossFit Kismet in Boca Raton, um, I started charging $200 for a membership. Yeah. Okay. And typically around here, CrossFit, maybe like 115 to 150. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And then when I sold my gym, I sold it with 87 members. Mm-hmm. So I found when I, when I, and it was one of the most ballsy things that I did, you know, for people yeah. to come in and be like $200. But I knew that I was on the right track when people were signing up and I had, uh, I think I, I had owned the gym for about a year, year and a half. And there was a gentleman in my gym. He was a, a, a CFO for a big insurance company. And it, it, some guy came in and he was interested in trying. And then I guess the, the guy was talking to him outside and he was like, you know, how do you enjoy it here? And um, my member just looked up at him and he goes, well, the best people I know come to this gym. Yeah. The best people that I know in South Florida come to this gym. And that's when it clicked for me. That's when I was like, you know what? If you charge $50, if you run Groupons and charge, you know, people are paying $9 to come in, you you get bargain hunters. You get people that don't value anything but um, a a discount, right? Mm -hmm. But when you start charging more and you actually provide value. I like, I tried to provide at least six, five, six hundred $600 worth of value every single month Yeah. in my yeah. gym. When you charge more and you provide value, now everything changes. Now you attract people that are looking for that value, mm-hmm. right? And the thing about value is if somebody is going to pay $200 for something, they're not paying $200 because they think that it's a good price. They're paying two hundred dollars because they feel they may feel that it's worth three hundred, mm-hmm. right? So now there is a huge shift in perspective there, and that's one of the reasons why some why my books are a little bit on the expensive side, like twenty five dollars for a knee pain book. Well, just going to the doctor one time, okay? I mean, if it's insurance, your copay might be nine to twenty five dollars. Who knows? So you got to get in your car, fight traffic, wait in the room, wait for the doctor. The doctor comes in, maybe it's pills, maybe it's an injection, maybe it's just a script for PT, okay? Now for the next six months, three times a week, you're fighting to go to the PT place and, and get your knee better, where you can literally pay $25 and understand how to correct knee pain, and not only your knee, but maybe your loved ones and your friends for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of think about all that and, and do the math, you know, it's pennies on the dollar for the next 60 years of your life. Um, if you buy my book compared to, you know, trying to have somebody else help you and you're taking up a lot of time and actually spending more money in the long run. 
Oh yeah. No, it would definitely be far more money in the long run. And uh, that's kind of interesting because you talk about, you know, how you're now positioning yourself as this more valuable option. And, you know, it's kind of screening out the people who are bargain hunters and don't value, you know, what you really have to offer. Right. But how do you get to that point? Because that transition is, you know, being in any type of service or, or even product you're providing. How do you, how do you get to that point where you're confident that you do have something of value that you can you know, present? It's, it's being your own, it's being your own biggest fan. Mm-hmm. It's being your own biggest fan. You know, there are sometimes people contact me um, via text message or, or the phone and uh, I don't know, their back hurts and they want to come in and, oh, well, you know, how much are your sessions? And I tell them and they're like, wow, you know, like that's a lot of money. And I tell them, I say, you know, I'm, I'm booked seven days out right now. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to be able to see me for a week. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and when they hear something like that, they're like, and, and it's true. I'm not lying to them. It's, it's only me in my business. So it doesn't make any sense for me to turn customers away. But yeah. I, I, I tell they say, Oh, wow, that's a lot of money. And I say, well, yeah, I provide a lot of value. Yeah. So, and 98, 99% of people sign up and they want to come in and get worked on. And, uh, you know, there's one, 2% people where they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to look somewhere else. And I say, okay, no problem. If you ever need help again, give me a call. But it's being your own best, your own biggest fan, really. And, and just being confident enough in the knowledge that you have, you know, like pain is not something that I can bullshit. Like I can't, somebody can't come in and I can't be like, no, you feel better, Ian. <laughs> no, dude, like my knee, my knee still kind of hurts. No, bro. Trust yeah. me. You feel, you feel better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's so so there, there's something innate about that, that mm-hmm. I can't communicate with the person that I'm working on. They need to feel it themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So I do absolutely no marketing. My books are my, are my marketing on Amazon, but nobody in South Florida is going to be like, let me go on Amazon to find a, a therapist in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. Every, every single person that I work on, it, it comes by word of mouth and I work on about 35 to 40 people a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's considerable. It's, it's considerable. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, and so if you're going to you know, have confidence in your offering and provide this high value to people, you obviously have to be very good at what you do. So for me, this seems like it's a clear connection to your book, The Everspace, because it seems like a, at least part of that book has to do with figuring out what you do value or what you kind of do want to do with yourself. So, I mean, do you think there's a connection there with, with identifying what you actually care about and being good at something? How do you think those two are connected? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You know, that's what's called living your soul's purpose. I mean, I just got asked today um, by one of my clients, she was like, how do you remember where everybody's aches and pains are. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, you know what? I still remember what some of my um, college basketball players squatted back in the year 2000 and 2001 when I was at the University of Buffalo. <laughs> like, I mean, it's yeah. just, it, it's been 19, 20 years since I started working with those girls. And I still remember what Kate squatted. I still remember what Dawn squatted, you know, on and on down. I still remember what little Rosalind squatted. Like, I mean, for (laughs) some reason, like that's what I meant to do. That's what I was supposed to be doing at that time. And your focus is always going to be followed by your attention. 
Okay. You can attend to something like my baby could be crawling around the room right now. Like I'm watching her, but I'm not focusing on her. Okay. But when I focus on her, my attention has to go that way. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't just, mm, I kind of like doing this. It's like, sit down, think of something that you absolutely love to do. Meditate for an hour and then write down 15 ways that you can get paid for it. And then start the process of elimination, mm-hmm. you know, and try and figure out like, how do I get paid? How do I get paid doing what I love? And that becomes your, your side job, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of people aren't like that. Now everybody talks about the millennials and their entitlements and everything like that. People want stuff handed to them. Mm-hmm. right? Like the hard work, man. I remember when I was young, if I wanted to buy a book, I'd have to wait a week for my mom to take me to Barnes and Nobles. I have to go in Barnes and Nobles, look around for three hours, purchase something that I wanted. Or now I can just go on Amazon and download 4 million books in under, you know, a couple hours or whatever. I can have them right in my lap on my Kindle. Yeah. Right. So that that kind of like really let me put my head down and work hard for this. A lot of the in, instant gratification that our society provides right now does not prepare our young kids for the hard work of something they really want to do. They think that that should come easy as well, or at least they have the perception of it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. I don't know. That's just my opinion. But if you really want to work your soul's purpose and, and, and you really want to do something that you love and get paid for it for the rest of your life, like make that your side job, mm-hmm. you know, keep on trying to figure it out. And if anything, just write a book about it, you know, and you can self publish it and put it on Amazon. Yeah. I don't know. There's so many things that you, that, that, that people can do. Um, but, uh, we, we oftentimes just tell ourselves the familiar story, like, Oh, like that's never going to happen, you know? And we shoot ourselves in the foot before we even start. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really easy to write, write things off and say like, Oh, I can't just do something I care about. You know, that's, that's quote unquote, following your passion. That's not a business. You know, there's so many things, if not, doing exactly what you want to do kind of tangentially related where you can sell a service or provide some sort of product for people. That's uh, it's not unreasonable in most fields, you know, like what you're doing is of course an amazing service for people. Um, and I do, I love that part about finding what you love because I think to be really good at anything, there has to be that element of, uh, yeah, your attention constantly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and get into some of what you talk about in your books. because It's just so interesting is this idea of uh, your body referring pain and you having these you know, hot spots all over your body. And you, yeah. you describe the body as kind of a web of fascia surrounding the muscles and bones and how, you know, pain can be referred into any joint uh, because of these trigger points. Can you talk a little bit about maybe at a high level, some of what that is and you know what the average person should be doing or, or tending to within their body yeah. to address this? Yeah. So the first thing that I tell people is there are no old people in this world. There's only old muscles. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. we maintain everything in our life. We maintain our cars. We maintain our clothes. We maintain the floors in our homes. We maintain the roofs over our heads. 
we maintain our garden, our lawn, our garbage can. We maintain everything except the health of our muscle tissue. And some people will say, oh, 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 but Chris, you know, I exercise six days a week. Well, exercise is a catabolic activity. Okay, rest is an anabolic activity. So when we break too much down and we don't build it back up or clear all of that metabolic waste out, what ends up happening is our body starts to layer metabolic glue from energy production on top of metabolic glue, okay? And instead of our muscle tissue sliding the way that it should on top of itself, it gets stuck, okay? And when it gets stuck, we have a breeding ground for adhesions. We have a breeding ground for um, uh, fibrosis. We have a breeding ground for trigger points we essentially turn a beautiful white crystalline mixture between muscle and fascia into a cesspool of just metabolic garbage, okay? And as long as we maintain pressure on our muscles, as long as we can maintain some sort of body work, we can keep these things from forming. Okay, so we can be 90, 100 years old and not have a single one of these things in our body and still be moving around completely fine. Okay, but when we don't pay attention to that, you can be a 90 year old or you can be a 30 year old feeling like you're in a 90 year old's body. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now then number two, what I tell people is there's two types of pain in the human body there's the pain that you feel and the pain that your brain feels. And in 90% of cases, they're not related. It's like if your shower's leaking and you call, your, your, uh, you call the plumber and the plumber comes in and he goes and he flicks a fuse in your electrical box and your shower stops leaking. Mm-hmm. And you're like, the heck? Well, the leak wasn't coming from where you thought it was. So oftentimes I get people with foot pain that think it's foot pain, but it's not. It's calf pain or it's hamstring pain. And I teach them that in the foot pain and the foot and ankle pain Bible. There are people that come to me that have knee pain. And I tell them, you don't have knee pain. You have quad pain. I teach them that in the knee pain Bible. People come to me with back pain and they're like, my back's been killing me. And I say, no, your back pain is a symptom. Your butt's killing you. And let me show you. Okay. We, we have them roll around on, on a lacrosse ball on their butt and they break out into a full sweat. And they're like, oh my God, why does that hurt so bad? <laughs> and I'm just like, well, you know, contrary to popular belief, your butt isn't meant to be sat upon all day. It's actually supposed to move and stabilize you as well. So when one gets broken, okay, it's like driving around on three wheels. And you got one flat tire. Nobody would look at that car and say, I don't know why this car isn't working to its full performance. Yes. Right. But we're never taught these things, right? We're never taught to look inside the muscle tissue as a a reference point for joint pain. If the knee hurts, it's got to be the knee. If it's the back, it's got to be the back. If it's the elbow, obviously the elbow, it has something wrong with it. Well, I mean, look, I got the sharpest elbows in the, in, in the entire world. Look at my elbow. There's just bone there. Yeah. How, 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 how come my bone is hurting? I don't understand that. Well, wait a minute. I, I have a lot of muscle tissue that's attached and crossing over that site mm-hmm. along with fascia too. Well, let's look at that. Let's, let's poke around in there and see if, 
the elbow pain doesn't go away if we actually touch the muscle and treat the nerves nicely. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So for me, um, when I started to figure this stuff out, you know, I was absolutely blown away. And I was like, why don't more people know about this? And, and the sad fact of the matter is that we're, we're just not taught. It's like there are some websites still that, that like they full on site trigger points are not really reliable and, and we're not really sure that they even exist. And it's because they don't understand them mm -hmm. and they're taking the easy way out. Yeah. And when we don't understand something, a lot of fear arises. And that's what I say in my head, neck and shoulder pain Bible pain equals confusion and confusion equals more pain. The people that I see every day, they're at the end of the road. They've been to the chiropractors, the osteopaths, the doctors, the acupuncturists, the physical therapists, other massage therapists, you name it. They've been there and every single person shakes their head and they're like, I have no clue what's going yeah. on with you. You're just going to have to live like this. Yeah. And then they come to me and I find their problem in literally five minutes and we start and they're like, like, I don't understand that. Why does it? Because what we're taught about the body is, is, is incorrect. So a lot of my books, as you, as you've read, they go a lot deeper than just trigger points. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about nutrition. We talk about alignment. I talk about meditation. Um, I talk about proper ways of moving, running, things like that. Uh, it, it's, it, it, goes, it goes a lot deeper than what I'm explaining, but uh, I only got till 3, 3 p.m. over here today. So I, would just, we'll be, I could talk for like two, three hours about fashion and everything that I'm figuring out and understanding. Um, it, it's to, to, end, to end with that and to probably confuse people even more, Think about this, okay? You're seated right now, and if you put your feet on the floor and you don't stand up, you can touch your legs, okay? And they're super, super soft. Yeah. But then as soon as you stand up and take a step forward, that leg turns into concrete, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay? How does it do that? How can it just be like flabby, and like wishy-washy and soft as a pillow one second. And then as soon as we stand up and introduce it to gravity in a split second, it's impenetrable. Okay. Like, you know, you sit there and you try and touch it with your finger and it feels like you're tapping on, on marble or concrete, right. Or, or wood, you know, how, how does it do that? And, and the, the crazy part about it is we used to think that our bones kept us upright. Okay, yeah. but now we're starting to realize that it's not the bones at all, that it's the fascia, that muscle is a dumb piece of meat, okay, and that the fascia is our true vehicle for movement, okay, and Andrew Taylor still said it back in 1899, I think, he said, to, to look for the starting point of disease, look towards the fascia, okay, mm -hmm. so there are a lot of things, we're, I'm finding out that there are a lot of things like anxiety, depression, and POTS that are created by a misaligned atlas, Okay, so now all of a sudden we're talking about emotions. If our fascia is, all, is, is not correct and our bones aren't correct, we're not going to think very nice things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so people are going to look and they're going to be like, that's crazy. There's no way that you can just massage somebody neck, somebody's neck and get rid of, you know, depression and anxiety, but I've done it. Yeah. 
You see what I'm saying? So we are still in the infant stages of, of learning about living fascia, not the fascia that we find in cadavers that you, know, you just cut off and throw away because it looks worthless. Mm -hmm. um, we're still in infant stages uh, about fascia, learning about fascia and really, really understanding its, its principles. Um, and, and, you know, I'm excited for whatever comes next. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really exciting when you describe it that way. I'd never thought of that as like you say in place of the bones to support things like standing. What do you think is coming next when you say you're excited about it? If, I mean, I know you're, we're getting up uh, here towards the end of your time, but if you could talk a little bit, what, what do you see coming people starting to realize about the body in the future? You know what, man? I see like uh, the opioid epidemic just being completely eradicated. I see people no longer getting shots, cortisone shots, you know, PRP and, and stem cell. Fascia is way beyond that, okay? Mm -hmm. I no longer see people getting treated uh, um, in, in a surgical manner, okay, in order to fix things. Now, don't get me wrong. You go and you play basketball and you hear something pop, you get an MRI and the doctor's like, your ACLs clear off the bone. There's no way you can manipulate your fascia. Oh, Chris said, if I just manipulate my fascia around my knee, my ACL is going to be repaired. No, that's not going to happen. Okay. Tear something, you obviously need to get a surgical procedure. But what I'm talking about is the 78% of back surgeries that fail. What I'm talking about is the 89 or so odd percent of knee surgeries that your knee is actually worse when you come out than when you go in. Okay. I'm talking about rotator cuff surgeries that leave your shoulder frozen, you yep. know, things like that, where there's no identifiable tear, but because we can't find a source of the pain, we decide to just open the skin up and be invasive. Yeah. Okay. So I'm starting to, you know, in 20 to 30 years, when somebody says, oh man, you know, like my, my elbow is really hurting or my knees really hurting or my back really hurts. Uh, I'm going to go to the doctor, you know, and somebody looking at them and be like, you still go to the doctor for that? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. why don't you go see a structural therapist? How come you're not seeing a fascial specialist? Like, don't you, don't you know that that's where that stuff comes from? Mm -hmm. You don't have to go to the doctor. And I'm not knocking doctors. There are a lot of doctors that refer me a lot of, of my clients because they're mm -hmm. like, they, they're, they, I work on them and they realize they're like, wait a minute, this person doesn't need shots, drugs or surgery because I can't find anything wrong. I'm going to have Chris just look in their muscles, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, every single doctor that I work on, they're amazed. And then they start referring clients to me. But the thing about it is that they're not taught in that manner. You know, you know what I'm saying? So they specialize in disease and a whole bunch of other things. And then we go to them for our muscle aches and pains or our, our joint aches and pains. Yeah. But, they're, they're, but, but their information is outdated. You know what I'm saying? So when a specialist like me and a couple other people start emerging from this field, and then we teach somebody else and then they, we create a company and we have a lot of people underneath us and all of a sudden these things start to spread and people realize like, wow, I can get rid of my pain through, through targeted touch, not even massage, because I, I refuse to use that word, but, but through, through targeted hands-on myotherapy or targeted therapy using um, a, 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 a lacrosse ball, a, a baseball, a softball band, something like that, 
Um, if I just use a band to pull my femur forward, my hip flexor is going to stop killing me all the time. Really? Like I don't have to go to a doctor and, and get an injection or go and get muscle relaxers or pills, mm -hmm. you know? So that's where I feel like this, um, like, like this field is going right now. It's a little bit like puff the magic dragon. It's a little bit, a little bit utopic. Um, the, the books that I've read, you know, a couple of the, these very intelligent doctors, um, one of them even tried developing an algorithm to explain the way fascia orients itself when you pull the skin away from it. Mm -hmm. and, and he's like, no computer model could be found. It's just, yeah. it's completely random. Yeah. Completely yeah. random. So how do you explain something like that? Or when people come to me and they're like, well, do you take insurance? No, I can't because there's no way insurance will ever pay for something that can't be explained through multiple studies or a computer model. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of just rolling the dice with me. I know that I can help you, but I can't guarantee it <laughs> because everybody's different, but the same. And that's what's so fascinating about it. It is like when you when you get in tune with it, you can actually muscles tell a story. Muscles and fascia tell a story, you know. And and when you run your hands across somebody's calf and they're like, you know, my ankle's killing me, and I say, well, well, let's check this muscle out. Your left ankle hurts, and we touch the left side of your leg, okay, and it feels like a piece of plywood. And then we go over and we touch the right outside of your leg, but your right ankle is fine. And that muscle tissue feels like a soft feather pillow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which do you think should correlate with a healthy human tissue? Right? It's not, yeah. It's not going to be the plywood side where, yeah. where you're having the pain. So mm -hmm. as we soften up that muscle tissue, mm -hmm people will tell me, they'll be like, oh my God, I feel that in my ankle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what we know about the perineal complex is it's the command center for the ankle. Look at the ankle. It's just bone there. So yeah. when you twist your ankle and your ankle continue hurt, continues to hurt, we want to look in the command center because those muscles have to rapidly, eccentrically contract, okay, and then concentrically contract when you then fixed your ankle, all right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a huge trauma to that area. Mm -hmm. And when we fix the muscle tissue, the joint is fine. And that's because pain anywhere in the human body is protection. Mm -hmm. Okay. Pain is protection for a joint and it's usually coming from a muscle 0.2% of the time. It might be meniscus or cartilage or a ligament. Okay. But that's in very, very rare cases. Mm -hmm. So, it's just, to me, it's just, dude, it's fascinating. Yeah. 0.2% of the time. That's surprising. Mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought that. That's not, that's not, I just, I'm throwing that out there. That's, that's yeah, not. But the, but even that you say that it's that, even that you say that it's that low is, is, uh, yeah. I, that's surprising when you say that. Um, so, okay. I just have two more questions because I know that okay. you are running short on time. So one of yeah. them would be, uh, you know, if someone does want to try to find what, what they can do to provide this level of value, you mentioned, you know, kind of getting quiet, maybe meditating on what you actually care about. Is there any other advice you have for people so that they can reach this kind of level, whatever field they're in? 
Um, you know what? Once again, we're going to reach a bit into the esoteric. There's a book yeah. that I just read a, a little bit ago by Dr. Joe Dispenza called Becoming Supernatural. And Sorry, he I has... That's a good one. What's that? I got it over there on the floor. That's a good one. Nice, nice, man. Um, so he, he has a meditation in there called Tuning Into New Potentials. And mm -hmm. the, the, one, of the, one of the reasons why I love the book is because this guy gets so deep on an energy level but he actually makes it understandable and he actually makes what he's talking about and what you would like uh, obtainable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Rather than being like, Oh, I got to go to a $10,000 workshop. No, go buy a $13 meditation. Now you do the work. Yeah. Nobody's going to hand it to you. Nobody, you're not going to be walking down the street. Somebody's going to hand you a flyer that says, Ian, this is what you should do with your life. And here's how. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and then the second thing, is um, something Julia Cameron wrote in The Artist's Way that um, resonates with me still to this day. And I did it before I even know it. But at the end of her introduction, she says, um, the only thing that I can tell an artist about where to start is to leap and the net will appear. Mm, okay. Yeah. And there are so many people, Vishen Lakhiani, Ram Das. Um, you know, Alan Watts, they all talk about like these really profound thinkers and, and, you know, like self-help gurus and everything. Are you familiar with Vishen Lakhiani? He, he owns Mind Valley. He puts I out am. a lot of like self-help courses. And like that. He, you know, everybody talks about, you don't have to know how to do it. You just need to start. Mm. But that's what we're so afraid of because we're in this analytical yeah. society, you know, where, if I scroll on my Instagram feed, I expect to see another picture, mm -hmm. okay? Like I can depend on another picture coming, mm -hmm. all right? But when I'm starting something and, and I'm trying to be a visionary, you oftentimes never know what's next. And that scares mm -hmm. the living daylights out of people to the point of paralyzation to even start, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, in all honesty, that's what I did. I, I, just, I just started. I, I had the confidence. I've been doing it for a long enough period of time. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm, I'm going to start. And if I fail, I fail. But I really don't think that, I, that, that, that that's going to happen. And I never knew what was next. I mean, I had people coming in at the beginning when I started my gym. I had people coming in and warming up by sitting on a lacrosse ball and rolling on their glutes for two minutes. Mm -hmm. You know the weird looks and un uncomfortable, <laughs> okay, I got uh, every single day, eight, yeah. eight times a day, yeah. but then those people come back in two, three, four days, and they're like, they walk in and they go, they walk in 15 minutes early and they go straight and they grab a lacrosse ball and they start rolling on it. Yeah. And then they just come back and they're like, this stuff really works. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like... I'm like, yeah, I know, I know it does, you know? So yeah. <clears throat> um, Kelly Starrett, who, who is a, um, a huge face in the world of physical therapy, self, self-help physical therapy and, mm -hmm. and fashion and whatnot. He full on says, do not use mobility, a mobility program as a warm up. I did that. And in three years, I never had a single injury in my gym, mm -hmm. in my CrossFit gym, you know? So for not me, using a mobility program as a warm up. No, I did. I did use a mobility program every oh, single day as a warm up, mm -hmm. and I never had a single injury in my gym in three years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? So once again, I believed in it. I created it. I went against the grain, instituted it. I saw the results and I was like, you know, it, it once again, if you're your biggest fan mm-hmm. and you're like, there's no way that this is not going to fail. It's not going to fail. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's super cool. With the, with the rolling too. Yeah. I've definitely experienced the same thing once I started trying that. Um, I know you got like probably a minute and a half, two minutes. Last question yeah. I have is, is there anything else that I didn't cover that you want to mention or tell people to go check out? Um, you know what, man? No, um, not that I can think of. Check out my website, influentialhealthsolutions.com. If people have any questions about what I said or they just want to, you know, get on the phone with me and get a consultation, uh, email me at chris at influentialhealthsolutions.com. And uh, the last thing is, I guess I'd probably just say, man, always keep an open mind. You know, there's, there, there, there's two things in life that are never going to get you anywhere. One of them is not keeping your mind open to new potentials and new possibilities. And then the second one is believing everything you think. You know, you, I, I made it a point two years ago for my New Year's resolution to challenge a lot of my self-limiting beliefs. And my business just exploded as a result and, and, and so did a lot, of, a, a lot of what I thought was actually possible. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. those two things, if people really understand those concepts and they question what they think and feel, okay, and if they just keep an open mind, you know, I mean, I would have never, if you would have talked to me five years ago and said, Chris, just by doing some of these meditations, you're going to think up ideas for books and, you know, you're going to be getting paid on a monthly basis um, very well just based off of these books um, that you get through your meditations. I would have been like, yeah, right. There's no way I'm meditating. Yeah. Right? It's stupid. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. But by starting And then going through the process and believing and just keeping an open mind. um, Here I am, you know, like my, I I really don't even have to work. My book royalties right now pay for a lot of things that that are going on in my life. And I would have never have done that if I didn't start meditating. So my, my last, I guess my, my final thought is for the people out there and every other podcast that I've always done, you know, I tell people, um, as a, as a final thought, I go, if, if you don't want to, um, if you want to make a change in your life, you, you, you got it. You got to start meditating, find a program, a guided meditation, something that works for you and, um, go ahead and just dive in head first and enjoy the ride. Definitely. Yeah. That's definitely some awesome advice. Well, uh, Chris, I know you got to run. I really yeah. appreciate the time and the awesome interview, man. That was enjoyable. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on Ian. Definitely. Luck the rest of the day, Chris. Talk to you later. Thank you too, buddy.